Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. If you've never heard of or met Colin Crocus, strap in. This is going to be a fun and globe-trotting ride. From the earliest days of BrewDog to starting breweries in Australia and now working at a brew pub in Canada, he shares his story, advice, and on how showing no compromise has gotten him this far. First, check out BeerEdge.com to sign up for the newsletter and to catch up with all of your clothing and glassware needs from the This Week in Rauk Beer, Camp Rauk Beer, and Defend Pilsner lines. Go to BeerEdge.com slash merch to learn more. And get with us on social media, either on the very active This Week in Rauk Beer Facebook group or at TW Rauk Beer on Twitter and Instagram. And of course, the Beer Edge is at the Beer Edge on all of the platforms. This episode is sponsored by Brees. Brees is the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbrees.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program, used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high-quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. If you've been listening to the show for long enough now, now and again, I'll ask you who I should have on the show. Sometimes I get letters, and usually those are good suggestions that lead to lively conversations. This is one of those shows. My friend Don Tess, the writer and pun aficionado, who has also been a guest on the show himself, reached out recently to introduce Colin Crocus, and I'm glad he did. Colin started off as a chemistry student who soon developed a fondness for beer and began a career in brewing that led to brewing school in Germany and a bevy of jobs, including a stint as the first full-time brewer at BrewDog. He and his family have traveled the world, and he's done various brewing jobs, picking up techniques from hands-on experiences along the way. He believes in no compromise, and as you'll hear, that hasn't always made things easy, but he's a brewer with few regrets because of it. These days, he's brewing at Rural Roots Brewing in Alberta, where they pride themselves on food pairings and full pours and hospitality. This classically trained brewer has even learned to love and embrace a recipe that's become a fan favorite, a pina colada milkshake IPA. And we start there. He joined me on Zoom from Canada. Here's our conversation. When I think about the last 20 years and how beer has evolved, when you graduated from brewing school and you went to a, 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 a pretty good school and had a pretty good education in Germany um, in the traditional methods. Did, did you think 20 years later, you'd be really well-known and appreciated for making milkshake IPAs? <laughs> um, I Three years ago, if you would have asked me that, I wouldn't even have known one for one thing, what a milkshake IPA even was, and let alone that I'd be brewing it and brewing a successful one. So no, definitely not. I mean, I'm not saying like brewing has, there's been so many breweries that have come online within the last, you know, five or 10 years. And a lot of those, you know, brewers have been exposed to so much uh, innovation and sort of pushed towards what's new, what's rare, what's rare, what's local, like that kind of thing. Um, then I'm always interested in talking to brewers who have, you know, 20 years of experience like you, because the, the world has so dramatically changed. And I, I, I'm, I'm wondering how your evolution as a brewer has been, because there are people who will say, you know, well, I'm just going to make this, and this is what I, this is what I want to make. And then they sort of you know, won't try some of the, some of the different things. Um, I was just tickled by the fact that you're you know, making and having milkshake IPAs celebrated. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I definitely agree. There's, there's been a lot of changes. So when I first started out, 
uh, I first developed my passion for beer in general. I think I was, uh, you know, late teens. I was studying chemistry at uh, the local college here, uh, Nate. And I started to see so many correlations between, you know, brewing. Um, we, we did, uh, you know, units on food chemistry. And I was just, wow, I was blown away. And I think at the time as, as a poor student, I was just trying to, you know, find a way to save a few bucks because up here in Canada, you know, we, we get taxed quite a bit on beer. So being a student, uh, it's it's definitely challenging to, to be able to, to buy beer and also pay for your food and tuition. So I thought this would be fun. And um, classic story. Yeah, I, exactly. Um, you know, did the typical thing started as a home brewer. Well, I did a, you know, malt extract kit. That wasn't enough for me. I want to know, I want to learn everything. So, you know, picked up Charlie Papazian's guides and read those things through and through. And during that time studying chemistry, you know, I started to, to learn a lot about, you know, the chemistry involved in it, the biochemistry, and most importantly for me, the microbiology of it. And so it wasn't long before, obviously I got into, you know, all grain brewing and got my own setup. And then by the time I was in, it was a two-year diploma course. By the time I was in my second year, I knew that I'm getting into the brewing industry come hell or high water. So I just got to find my way. And when I graduated 2002, I think it was, um, I thought I would break into it, honestly, um, in the lab. I thought we'll do quality control. That's what I'm good at. Um, you know, I, I love lab settings. I love data. I love charts, everything like that. And I couldn't really find a way in. And I, I'm a pretty impatient kind of guy. I know what I want and I go for it. So I thought, well, I'm going to just put myself through brewing school. And I started phoning up brewmasters in the area. And, and this is, you know, 2002, 2003. So there was Big Rock Brewery out of Calgary. Mm -hmm. There was Alley Cat Brewing in Edmonton. There was Wild Rose. That's true. And about that, that was about it, right? For, for craft. Yeah, there wasn't the choice that there is today. No. So I, I called up uh, Larry Kerwin at Big Rock. I, I called up a few different ones, but he he gave me some great advice. And I asked him, well, I'm looking at the school VLB in, in Berlin. And, you know, do you know about the program? Do you know graduates of it? Would you recommend it? And he said, yeah, I, that's I've, I've heard great things about it. Um, they're, they're definitely reputable. But he said, you know, before you do all that, before you invest this time and money in that, just make sure that this is what you want. And, you know, being a young, early 20s man, I thought, you know, that's that's really good advice because I, I tend to be impetuous for sure, impulsive. So uh, he invited me down to Calgary and uh, hired me on the spot. And <laughs> I uh, I worked in the brew house. That was my first professional job. So brewing, you know, 200 hectoliter batches. So, you know, a substantial amount, especially yeah. considering you know the size of my brewery today too. So uh, it was massive, but I caught on really quickly. I loved it. It was just great. I just for me, it was just like I need more. I want to. I learned it so quickly because my mind was just ready for that, and I had just you know I was fairly fresh out of school too. And I'm like, okay, guys, send me to brewing school. That's kind of what I wanted. But I you know I realized that's not going to happen. So um, you know I thought. I could stick around, go through each department, you know, learn filtration, learn the cellaring, learn the lab stuff, or I could save up and just, you know, go put myself through brewing school myself. And because I, I, to be honest, like I say, I didn't have the patience for it and I needed it. So I worked there six months and that was enough for me, especially with the shifts. They had a, a three week shift or sorry, a two week shift rotation, eight hours. So it was rough. You go back in the clock every two weeks. So not like a 12 hour <laughs> shift, which would be ideal. This was eight hours. So it's like your body's never really used to any of the shifts. And so I had enough. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. So I went back up to Edmonton, um, saved up by working in, um, in a lab in, they, they made ISO octane, actually, Alberta and biofuels. <laughs> Pretty cool. Place. Really? Well, years ago, you remember MTBE, right? Methyl tributyl ether. That used to be an sure, additive. for argument's sake, sure. Yeah, yeah, you know it. It, it adds octane. Um, the, well, it doesn't add octane itself, but the octane rating for that is is huge. And they used to add that to gasoline. But the problem was is that California banned it early, I think mid '90s or whatever. So they were okay. following suit. They knew that eventually that there would be no market for it if California bans it. Done. So they switched their plant instead of manufacturing MTBE. They they manufactured uh, iso octane right from from butane. So it was, it was really cool. I worked in the lab there, um, 
like I said, chemistry background. So it was just what I needed. The pay was a lot better than the craft brewing industry. I'll bet. Yeah. And uh, I went from better there. Better living through chemistry. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Monetarily. Yeah. So I, I was able to save up a little bit. I mean, oh, it would have been great to be able to have saved up the whole chunk, but I had enough to get there. I had applied to VLB and yeah, by end of 2005, I was in Berlin. Do you have, I, 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 I always love hearing the stories of folks who, okay, this is what I want to do. And they just kind of go for it. You know, they don't wait for, for something to happen. Um, in your travels, have you, do you still see that spirit alive in the newer generation of brewers that, that that's coming up? I see, I see impatience for sure, but I see it more as, um, I think kind of one of these, uh, you know, this, this generation we have of instant gratification, right. Is that nobody wants to wait for anything, let alone a text message from your friend. Like, why aren't you responding? Why haven't you even read my message yet? Because I can see that. So I see, I see that side of it. I don't see as much. I think, I think people are kind of used to getting things given to them a lot more in this generation, but that's just my personal opinion. But like, I, I think the people who go through the trenches and do that, it's like, you know what, I'm going to get into this industry no matter what. Now the opportunities today are astronomical compared to when I was looking for work. Yeah. So I had to, like, I didn't have a choice. If I want to get into that and Molson and Labatt aren't taking my application seriously or, or, or have a slot for me, then what am I going to do? Well, I'm going to volunteer if I need to, I'm going to get experience. I'm going to, I'm going to educate myself, um, get further education. So I think these days people can get far on just their, their home brewing. And then just because of how established craft brewing is now, there's a lot more opportunities. So I don't think they have to do the legwork as much. And um, I, I'm not, I mean, I am complaining, but uh, if, if, if I had been, you know, a young man during this time, I could have gone just down the road here. Olds College has a great brewing program, right? Right yeah. in Barley country. And I didn't have that opportunity. So I, I had to save up, pay my own, my own wage and move to a different country to do that because I didn't have very many choices. So it's either Berlin uh, Belgium would have been nice. I don't think that was feasible. <laughs> Harriet Watt in Scotland would have been great, but I also didn't have, you know, 20, 30,000 pounds, if not more to study there. And the fact that VLB offered a, a course in English, I think they had been since 99, they had been hundred um, percent English. And I mean, I had a bare, very, very ground level of German at that point, but definitely not, uh, not enough to study in an Institute. So. Well, you did eventually wind up in Scotland though. I did. Yeah. So, and this, and this happened shortly after I finished. So I, what I did at the VLB, they have this program called the certified brewmaster course. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When I came out of that course, I did yeah. not feel like a certified brewmaster. Um, their, their requirements. At least you took a course that made it though. I mean, I, and, 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 and you got it. I, I, again, I, I feel like I'm sort of yelling like the old man yelling at the cloud these days, but I'm always amazed with how, casually the term brewmaster is thrown around. Yeah. Yeah. That's I, I agree with that too. And um I mean their their program their program was great, but it also had, you know, some some cons to it too in the fact that, you know, I think this one was a private program, right? So you pay your own way for sure. Um, you're expected to bring a certain amount of experience with you. So their requirement was six months work in a brewery, which I happen to have, which was great. But um, in my opinion now, uh, that's not enough. I mean, you're getting at the VLB, you're getting just theory, 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 so much deep into it. So you're going deep into, into that and it's great. So you need that on the job hands-on training to supplement that, to, to bring it all together. And that's something I lacked that even with six months, that's something I lacked. And so coming out of that course with my brewmaster diploma, I wasn't a brewmaster and by any stretch of the imagination. So, you know, I felt great. Hey, I've got this. I'm going to apply all over the place. Um, and as I mentioned before, I met my wife in Berlin, my wife to be, and we shortly after getting married, we got married on neutral territory on Jamaica <laughs> because her family and my family, there was no way that we could get them all together in one place. And it was uh, unfair. So we eloped. So you're like, and, hey, come to an island. Yeah. 
no, exactly. We did. We didn't even invite anybody. We just said, you know what, we're going to go do this. Um, we'll have, you know, receptions with each family afterwards, small, you know, intimate. Well, the one in Canada didn't end up to be too small because my mom definitely made sure we had a good party and it was great. And then, so shortly after that, though, we had, you know, the whole world to look at where are we going to go? Um, you know, as, as, uh, because my wife is, is a German national, then I all, all automatically had, you know, the right to live anywhere within the EU. And uh, we, we picked, um, we picked England first. I applied through all over the place, but I, I ended up getting us, you know, it was a job as a, as a pub manager in London. So this guy had uh, ambitions to, to make a small brewery in there, but it was pretty evident after a couple of weeks that no, this is not going to happen. So I was like, I was already thinking, how do I get out of this? Cause this is not what I do. I'm, I'm not a pub manager. Yeah. I love yeah. the real ale. Uh, that was great. That was, that was fun serving that, cellaring that. But um, I, you know, four months, I was like, okay, this is enough. I helped them, you know, start that up and did my best as a pub manager, but I was, I was no publican. Yeah. But that's not what you, you signed up to do. No, yeah. exactly. So in the meantime, I had been posting my CV online. Um, there is, uh, I think SIBA, if you've heard of that, I think it's a society of independent brewers, something yep. like that. And, uh, I got a call. Oh, I think it was, I think it was a telephone call from a fellow with a, a thick Scots accent. His name was James Watt. And what I heard is the brewery was called Dewdog, but it was Breedog. It's and, a little thick. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that's what I had written down too. Cause I was taking notes as he called me. So he called me up. I was in London, like I said, and I was looking for, you know, they were looking for a brewer to come up and, you know, to me, I was like, Oh, that sounds great. So this is 2007. This was probably around May, June. And I said, okay, yeah, I'd love to, I'll come up for a short stint and you guys can try me out. I can, you know, see how I fit in and uh, we'll go from there. So I went up there. Um, you know, met Martin, met James, and we had a tiny little, uh, is it right in Fraserborough, had a little industrial, uh, what would you call it? It's just, it was basically like a big storage garage. Mm -hmm. uh, next door, they had the county and the city. They, they stored their, um, their tractors and lawn equipment, all that kind of stuff. So their unit was right beside there. We had uh, that C can that James talks about. Yeah. That was right there. They, they had the office on top of that in the, the C can. The C can. Yeah. He's he, I mentioned, I think he mentioned that in one of his posts or whatever, that uh, that's how they, their humble beginnings from which they started. And yeah, that C can, they, they, they had beer storage in there inside the unit, but also up on top, we had a stairway to get up there and that's where the desk was with the computer. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh, there were, I think, three or four 20 hectoliter fermenters, uh, a very simple 10 hectoliter, I believe, brewing system, um, just straight, simple infusion mash, single infusion. And yeah. So anyway, I, you know, I worked with Martin quite a bit and, uh, and like I say, this, I did not feel like a brewmaster. So a lot was expected of me and I lacked experience. So um, I did well. I mean, well enough that they they did hire me on full time. Um, we moved up, so yeah. my wife and I went back to Berlin because that's all our stuff was still there, even though we had been in living in London. And we gathered all that stuff up. Um, I think we had moved it to London by then, and then took a moved uh, a moving van all the way up to to Fraserburgh, way up in the northwest corner of Scotland. Um, and you were the first brewing employee. I, um, the first full-time brewing, full -time, they, yeah. they had, they had friends and, um, associates that were helping them do, you know, part-time packaging and whatnot. But, uh, yeah, I was the first full-time one and, uh, they, they had to get out and sell. I mean, that was, you know, that's yeah. what they had to do. I mean, and they needed somebody who could look after the whole place and, uh, without them having to worry about it. Well, well you because, had the certificate. So, the, so yeah, you were totally qualified to, yeah. to, and to I mean, do it. And it went well at first, um, but like I say, um, I, I was used to working on, so like I was saying before that, the bulk of my experience had been at Big Rock. They're a big regional brewery here in, in Alberta. You know, they got a, a proper industrial system. So that yeah. means, you know, a louder ton with rakes. Um, they've got proper setup in the brew house. So multi-step infusion, typical, uh, what I learned in school too. But this was the British single infusion system uh, with a, a Scottish fly sparge. 
that I did not have enough experience with. So stuck mashes. Oh yeah. Um, uh, this, this open air grant, I had never seen one of those before. I'm like, what? So it, uh, it took me a while to kind of get the hang of things. And, uh, I thought I was doing okay. You know, I've, I've definitely, they wanted someone more, you know, experienced, but, um, I got through it and, but I really bumped heads, butted heads with James. Um, I don't know. I mean, I'll, he'll probably come after me, but whatever. I mean, the guy, he was an arrogant prick is what I got to say. Just, just very, very full of himself. Very bullish, totally bullied everybody around him, me, especially. Um, and I just didn't like, I'm, I'm type a already type of person. So that's not a good mix. And, uh, yeah, needless to say after a few months though, uh, he found a reason to, to push me out. I'm like, okay, well, I mean, and, and they did, he did say because of the lack of experience and I, I don't dispute that, but uh, yeah. I, I worked, I worked my butt off there, you know, doing 14, 16 hour days. Um, we were, we were doing capping uh, with their bottling line. They had a, I think a single, single head filler or double. I can't even remember back then. One of these tiny little manual things. And yeah. we were capping them with a homebrew capper. <laughs> yeah so i was doing that eight hours straight and i i ended up getting really bad uh really bad uh, nerve damage in my hand because of that oh, Jesus. to this day i got bad carpal tunnel there but uh I'm capping all those bottles of punk ipa yeah and that's what it was, was, it, even, it, was, was it even punk ipa back then? it yeah. was yeah it was um paradox was one of the ones that we brewed back then too so it was the riptide imperial stout which is just an amazing beer in itself martin's just Great, just a uh, very, very talented. Because I, I had heard of him from from when he worked. I believe it was at Thornbridge, wasn't it? I can't remember. And um, yeah, well, he, it, the, yeah. the paradox. We we were getting casks from you know Speyside in the area. There was one time wow. when we were putting paradox in a 1967 Macallan. I kid you not. And guess what was left in the bottom of it? Oh. A couple, couple hundred mils left of that. Now that's probably the only time I'll ever have the only chance in my, in my life to have, you know, to try a sample of that beer, that uh, that scotch. And it was just phenomenal. Jesus. Yeah. So we, we, uh, we filled up the the paradox, the riptide in those, and uh, it was just great. But, um, well, let me ask you, just because it's so interesting with, you know, the, 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 these breweries, these brands that have really sort of, you know, tried to tell their own story in their own way. And, and, and Brewdog was certainly uh, in the early days, like a lot about marketing, like there, there's good beer, but, but so much of it was, you know, we're avant-garde, we're punk, we're this, we're that, you know, and this is, and this, the period of time that you're there, I need to be very clear uh, is well before uh taking over the stone brewery in Berlin before all of the pubs, before the breweries, before the America launch, before like all of all, everything that it is today. And a lot of the problems that had surfaced online uh, from previous employees. Um, your time there was, was, was before all of this. Yeah. Well before. Yeah. But when you think about some of the, like the, the, like the early days, you know, and there's these romantic notions of, you know, oh, Jeff Bezos started in his garage, which isn't exactly true, you know, or, mm-hmm. you know, Steve Jobs doing this whole thing. You know, like there, there, there's these stories of, you know, like from the early days, like we knew we were going to be punk and it was a party or th- however the, the narrative becomes over time. Um, the, the brew dog that's put forward today of this, you know, we're going to put beer in dead animals or, you know, gold cans, even though I guess it wasn't a gold can and, and, and all the other stuff that, they, that, 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 that they've done. Were there wisps of that at the time or was it just like, shit, we got to make beer. We got to sell it. We got to make payroll. Oh no, definitely. Uh, I mean, looking at the punk label itself on there, it was pretty much stone's arrogant bastard verbatim. Sure. It was just, and I, I didn't know that at the time. Cause I, I didn't have uh you know, stone available to me when I, you know, started drinking craft beer and, and also in Europe. So I didn't know that, but oh yeah, like there was that, yeah, that sense of it for sure, that arrogance and that uh, anti-establishment and, um, you know, the whole punk ethos. And did it being, feel that you know, way inside the of the four walls? I mean, you got municipal gardening equipment next door. Like, yeah. did it feel like you all were punks or was it just, did it just kind of feel like a brewery? 
Um, no, I mean, the, the beginnings are definitely humble for sure. So in that respect, yes. Uh, you know, having to go to farmer's markets to sell the beer for, you know, three quid a pop, um, you know, and trying to, you know, trying trying to start that craft beer revelation, re- revolution in the UK uh, to really get it going, um, which, you know, it takes a lot because mm-hmm. who who wants to pay three pounds of for, you know, a 330 mil bottle of beer when they can, you know, get, you know, whatever they have there with some of their (laughs) swill beer, like Foster's or whatever. Right. So punks in that way, for sure, trying to trailblaze our way through, you know, getting, getting people on board. And it was great to see people coming in and dropping a hundred pounds on, on a flat of beer, you know, coming by and selling that right from the brewery and looking at the brewery itself, you know, we had an electric kettle. Um, Martin and I, you know, we, we get in there. One of us would get in at the end um, with a bag, an empty grain bag and, you know, scoop up all those, all those hops. Cause we used whole hops, which is just beautiful. And which you can't always do in, in some of these modern systems um, and getting in there with, you know, this hot, humid, you know, we take our shirts off and strip down and get in there and it just sweat our, sweat our faces off and get those hops out of there. And, you know, dump the uh, the grains into uh, the, the the grain bags, the spent grains. Throw them in the back of this little tiny white pickup truck. I drive to the to the farmer down a few miles away, and hell yeah, total humble beginnings. And to see where they made it, even just a few years later, is phenomenal. You know, and I know that when I was just leaving, I think um, we got this this bottling line in from from Italy, and mm-hmm. we were commissioning that. And, um, I know it wasn't, it was probably around that time when they got that, that Tesco contract, you know, they kind of uh, bluffed their way through that. And that was, a you know, that, that's a total punk move right there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, no, and look that's we, thing, yeah, like, well, we can do that. We'll, we'll do that. And they did. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I've always been a professionally, you know, even in writing gigs, it's, you know, even if you, you don't feel like you can do it in the moment, you say yes. And then you figure it out later on. And I yeah. mean, that's, that's sort of the, it, so you left there. Yeah. Um, well, I was, I was told yeah. to leave, I guess we'll say okay. it that way. I was, uh, I wanted to stay. <laughs> I wanted to learn a lot and I wanted to be a part of it. And hell, I was even making calls to Canada, trying to, you know, find importers. Uh, I had some, uh, s- you know, what the stupidest thing is I had all these notes I wrote down and I have no idea where the hell I put them. And this is one of the things that James was just, just absolutely went off about thinking that I was just sitting there on my ass twiddling my thumbs. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm working, you know, 14, 16 hours a day trying to get this, this canning line up and running or bottling line up and running and all this, doing these sales calls when they're gone. I was doing all that kind of stuff, but he didn't see it. And uh, <laughs> that seemed like to be that one there. Not the fact, obviously, that I stood up for myself because I don't yeah. think he liked that at all. Um, but that was one of the things he brought up all the time. Where is all this work that you that you supposedly did? So who knows? Maybe he found it and just tossed it and then used that as an excuse. I, I was not, not happy to leave, but in the end, it worked out for the best. I feel like this is becoming a therapy session now. Oh, um, for sure. This is- <laughs> <laughs> I, one of the things, though, and and I don't, I, 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 I don't want to to draw you too deep into you know anger or sadness or frustration or 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 anything else like that. But one of the things that doesn't get talked about and enough in my opinion is the bad days um or you know the failures and and you getting let go is not necessarily a failure um and i don't mean it that way but like here we are what like 18 years later uh and and it still sounds pretty raw for you and 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 i think that that's something that a lot of people go through in their lives of being unexpectedly let go or holding on to you know to 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 frustration and in the beer industry where people are talking about you know being punk or you know it's a party or you know wh- whatever you know the front of house good times are there, there's a lot of frustration that that happens in the background there's a lot of i don't know deep dark thoughts at the end of the day um that 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 creep around in 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 the brain and i don't know we talk about mental health on the show quite a, quite a bit but have you found because you've gone to a bunch of different places and you've worked in different countries and you've had different you know experiences ha, have have you found a way to 
I guess the good is still outweighing the bad is what I'm asking in everything. Well, for sure. Otherwise I, I wouldn't spiel, still be doing what I'm doing. Right. Um, yeah. The, for the longest time too, you're right. Like, I mean, it was hard for me to let go of that. Cause I kept looking at their success and their stories all over the place. I'm like, man, if I had been, if I had, you know, been able to be a part of that still, where would I be? And so for the longest time I regretted that, but then, you know, when this all came out about, you know, the, the former employees of, of BrewDog writing that, that letter and it brought back all these times, like, you know what, did I, would I have wanted that? What would I had, what, what kind of crap would I have gone had to go through, you know, and all the abuse that I would have had to put up with from the get-go who knows if I would, if I would have left off, uh, you know, my own choice back then, yeah. because I'm not like, like I say, I'm, I stand up for myself. I'm not that kind of guy. I don't just take it and take it. You know, I'm sorry, but I, I'm not, I'm not the kind of guy to be walked upon and, and kicked about. So um, when that did come out, that was very cathartic. Oh my goodness. I was like, yeah, look at you. You made the right choice, man. Um, hey, well, the choice was made for you anyway, but don't regret it. Uh, because of that, I got to go right after that. I went to Australia and I, I uh, helped commission a brewery there. Uh, and then from there back to Germany um, looking for work right before the economic meltdown of 2008. Yikes. Um, and then shortly after that, going to Wild Rose Brewery in Calgary and um, working with them. More with Colin in a moment. But first, a word of thanks to this episode's sponsors, and I hope you'll give them a closer look. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram or Twitter. And Brees is proud to control their malt starting in the field until it arrives at your brewery. They have a long-term relationship with several hundred growers in the Bighorn Basin of Wyoming and Montana, where warm days, cool nights, and floodwater irrigation yield some of the highest quality barley in the U.S. And now, back to Colin Crocus of Rural Roots Brewing. Do you feel like having bounced around as much as you do that your that you've there's been an evolution of you as a brewer and you know the beers that you're making like yeah are you do you feel like you, you're taking you know a little bit of something that you learn from here a little bit of something from here a little bit of something from here and and it shows in your end result now uh, to a point i think so yeah i think that's fair because you know drinking the local styles that kind of thing um getting to know the local people what they look for in beer and then, yeah, different techniques. Sure. I mean, I still, I'm pretty. So I'll go back to this Australia because I was able to help commission a brewery there, uh, a nice mm-hmm. 20 hectoliter system from PSS is the manufacturer. They're from Slovakia. Um, now this guy, he, <laughs> typical same kind of thing, <laughs> business owner, very, very type A and <laughs> also very rude and abusive too, but I stuck with it. And he, he got this guy in who commissions these systems, a really nice guy named Tomasz from Slovakia or Czech Republic, one of those. And I got to brew with him. And this guy, this is early in my career too, right? So he's brewing, you know, Czech lager. He's brewing, well, Czech Pilsner, really. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a nice black lager, a nice wheat beer. So I got to brew with him and see how the Czechs do it and how, you know, I, I yeah, I learned how to make Czech Pilsner from a Czech brewer. So it doesn't get much better than that. Uh, his beers were phenomenal. And so that, that alone was a great opportunity. And then, um, you know, he, he left obviously after he helped commission it. Um, he helped me a lot because I was, I was very green too. And then, um, you know, I, I fulfilled my contract. We were on a working holiday anyway. And, it ended up like, mm, I didn't really want to stay there after all. We were too far away from family is what it came down to. And uh, my wife sure didn't like the spiders and the snakes either. Uh, and, sure. uh, we were right in the rainforest, but um, on the edges of it. So yeah, um, that definitely like to this day, that is how I make Czech Pilsner because the Germans do it differently too. And I don't, I don't do it the way they do. Um, maybe they, they did it a long time ago, but with decoction mashing, for example, yeah, you know he he's adamant, and this is it, hundred percent sauce hops. It has to be Czech sauce hops. Um, the way he did things, um, triple decoction on the black lager, and that stuck with me. So now, on a system that I can't even do that with, I regret that because I, I miss that. And you know, a lot of brewers will say, "Well, it doesn't make much of a difference decoction or not." But I mean, it just that little bit. And I does think it though? It does, and. It's it's just a nuance. How I mean, yeah. So, a, but but like, score that for for people who 
like what, what for you on your palate or you and your sensory, what is that nuance? It's that subtle. And Tomash was uh, the way he described it. And he's right. He's like, you know, it has to have that little bread like flavor, you know, and you get that from the grain more. Right. So when you're boiling that mash, um, you're extracting, you know, you're getting better extraction anyway. It takes longer, but but you're getting that from the grains itself, right? So you're getting a little bit of that bready character. And then you're getting that, you know, a little bit darker of wort at the end. So just from those extra decoction steps. So it's it's a nice, clean, crisp beer, but with that extra, just little nuances of a little bit of the, you know, the the Maillard products coming through, right? The the melanoidines and also bread characteristic a little bit of darker darker tinge and I'll, I'll drink a czech pils over a german pilsner any day so czech pils obviously you have to use sauce i get that um yeah. where you are in alberta and i had the the chance to visit a couple of years ago and i was struck by being in canada's bread basket of how many breweries were making really malt forward ales, grain forward beers. And, you know, and it was really nice red ales and scotch ales and wee heavies and, you know, all of these styles that just made my heart swell in a great way. Um, And it was just playing into what was locally, you know, the local product of pride. Um, Do you experience that with, with, with where you are today of, trending towards or tending towards. And I know we started off by talking about milkshake IPAs and don't think mm-hmm. that I'm not going to come back to that because I am. Okay. Okay. Um, but like, do, do, do you find that because of what's being grown around you, that that's helping to push or helping to inform the beers that you're making? I don't know. That's a good question. I never really thought about it. I just, the way I've seen it is that we've just got so much here available. So yeah, I mean, People talk about the barley and the malt here, you know, that it's second to none and top rated in the world. And I agree to a point. I think the malteries could be better. Uh, I, I get a lot of my malt from from the UK and Germany still because uh, they've got a long, solid history of great, great uh, tradition and great, you know, quiet. I, 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 I feel like the I government's going to come and take you out of your house now at this point okay, for going eh? against your country. Sacrilege. I mean, yeah. I, I, use, I use my share of, of Alberta two roll barley malt here but and that's not to say either that the barley grown here doesn't make its way to some of these malteries too but there has been an evolution on that front right from when you first started brewing of more information available now i mean i feel like i'm seeing technical papers all the time and just yeah yeah for sure Um, and i think it varies too from supplier to supplier some some give you just like i mean even from some of the the good malteries i've gotten just here's here's the color and the extract and that's it you know and, uh, you know, I want to know what, what kind of uh, pH it's going to be in the word. And I want to know all these kind of different things with beta glucan and all that. And sometimes it's just not available. But, but yeah, compared to when, you know, as a homebrewer, would I have even known what that is and, and used it? So, but the homebrewers these days do. And they're the ones who tend to dive into that because it's, it's yeah. a passion for them. And they've got the time to do it because, you know, they're the ones. And, the, and same with me when I was between jobs as a brewmaster, but brewing a lot at home. I mean, I had. 20, 30 different strains of yeast in my fridge, right? I, I would uh, regularly reculture them and uh, so they wouldn't mutate. And, you know, I could pick from any one of those and, and use that. And, and to me, that's what's lacking too in the industry is that this formal training is missing. And that's actually one of the things I wanted to talk to about today is that yeah. I respect the German brewing system so much. Their beer, not as much. I mean, they have some phenomenal beer. Don't get me wrong. But for, you are you are just going through the world map right now and just oh, totally. pissing countries off where you're totally. not going to be allowed back in anymore. Well, <laughs> don't even get me started on metric now because uh, I'll piss your, your country off. But <laughs> um, that's not hard that, these though, days. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they okay, have such yeah. a great apprenticeship program for brewers. And so back to that coming out of that certified brewmaster course which was offered in Germany, but like, albeit a private institution. Whereas, you know, a, a, a citizen of Germany or the EU can do an apprenticeship for three years. So that's three years that you're working with throughout different departments of a brewery, working with people who are, well, journeyman brewers, just like uh, I would have done here when I did my welding apprenticeship. 
And I think as any tradesperson will know, like the, you learn the most when you're working on the job, right? You put that theoretical, that, that school knowledge to use, but you're learning all the tips and tricks. You're learning the ins and outs. You're learning how to do things more efficiently and better and understanding it. And that's what's missing here is that these diploma courses are good, but not everybody can, can do them because, well, there's a long waiting list for a lot of them, right? It's a, it's a, a serious investment, just like I had to pay you know, for my education. Whereas an apprenticeship here in Canada and Alberta, especially the way it works is that, you know, that's subsidized by the government. So, you know, you, you don't have to spend a ton of money on a, a solid education and foundation. Now, if we had that in brewing here, oh my goodness, but I've talked to the apprenticeship board and they just, they don't see it feasible because they don't see that there would be enough students to do it. And I, I disagree. I mean, yeah, they're not going to have, you know, 1500, 2000 students a year who would like they would in say welding or electrical or whatever, but we've got so many craft breweries throughout North America that man, if we had a, a good apprenticeship program, we'd be producing top notch brewers. Like, cause I mean, who's going to disagree with me when you hear German trained brewmaster, you already know that that's someone who knows about beer and brewing. And that's someone that you probably want to work with. So I, I think we've got a ways to go in that respect where if you've got a lot of passionate home brewers, Hey, I've got a chunk of money. I'm going to open up my brewery. And I just, ah, I, to me, it's just like, Oh dude, I, I appreciate the passion, but do you know what you're getting into? Do you know enough to do this? Because your buddies might like your beer and I'm sure it's great, but you've got to think about all the implications, you know, of selling this product and being able to assure the quality of it and check the quality of it and blah, blah, blah. Right. So I think there's that gap right now. And these colleges are filling that need for sure for trained, um, you know, brewmasters of operations or whatever. But I think anybody, any brewer can benefit from that apprenticeship. Yeah. And, and that opens up other opportunities in itself. So in Germany, for example, you get your, that's what I have. I challenged it later because I already had my diploma, but I did it in German. But when I was, after my contract finished, I'm like, well, I got some time to kill. I'm looking for another job. I'm going to do it because I don't feel my creds are enough. This, this brewmaster course didn't get, it, it wasn't compared as, um, you know, as well as like going through the German system. For some reason, Germans really love their paperwork. Uh, they really love details and all that. And if you don't have the right papers, then they, they can kind of get a little weird that way. So I've, I felt my creds weren't, you know, they weren't doing me justice. I'm like, well, look, I trained here. I've got this brewmaster diploma. I got a ton of experience by now, but I couldn't. Yeah, I don't know. So I thought, okay, I'm going to challenge this. I'm going to do it. So I studied up. Uh, my German was good by that time. So uh, I challenged the practical exams and I ended up finishing with honors, which was huge for me because I'm like, wow, this guy with his broken German bumbling his way through it, but he knows enough to be called Brauer und Melzer. And so as a brewer maltster now, officially, I can, you know, now I can do my, my Meister brief, they call it, you know, so to, to become, you know, in their, their master system or study as a Diplom Braumeister, which is the, the university equivalent of that. So it's, it just opens up a lot of opportunities. And like I say, they, the education you get on the job and in school altogether, it's just, it makes you into a well-rounded brewer. And that's something that definitely Definitely needs to happen. Um, I, I, the, I've been saying again about the German beers, like they're some of the worst beers now because they're so stuck on Das Heinrichsgebot. And it's like, dudes, we don't cook like we do in 1516, do we? Yeah. So why do we brew beer like we do then? I'm not saying that I, for me, no compromises. So I don't use anything synthetic. You know, it has to be natural. And that's kind of my, that's my limit. So if I want to put herbs, if I want to put fruit and vegetables in my beer, and it still tastes like beer, to me, that's the end goal. So when we get to someone making a, I don't know, a dill pickle sour beer, is that even beer? I don't know. It's not my call, but to me, you know, so you get the traditionalist German and that keeps their beer very, very, you know, it is beer, like, but they lack that creativity and that vision that craft beer has brought into the world. So I think if you marry those systems both and you, you know, you have kind of like, instead of Reinheitsgebot, you have Natürlichkeitsgebot, which means like a natural. So yeah, I use a little bit of sugar in my beer and I'll tell you why, but this sugar is from a natural source, right? It's not refined. It's not that white, 
you know, yeah, refined, the powdery, raffinated. Yeah. yeah. It's natural cane sugar. And I'll use it in this beer to supplement, you know, to give me a little bit of alcohol without giving that extra dextrins and that body that will just make it too thick, you know, for this beer, it's appropriate for this Belgian quad. Yeah. I need, I need candy syrup. So I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. And I, I butted heads with Germans because of that. I'm like this Reinheit, it's, it's ridiculous because I can't even do anything to my water except take things out of it. You telling me I can't put this food grade mineral salt in there to give me the best possible beer for this style, because that's what I know chemically it needs because that's where these beer styles throughout the world, like reading that, that water book from, uh, from Palmer and uh, yeah, John Palmer, Minsky, yeah. just amazing what an awesome book right and that's one of the things that i laughed about when they i don't uh, know i'm not convinced anybody's actually ever finished that book oh i've read it two or three times <laughs> but like i say i'm a, i've got a chemistry background so for me it's like oh yeah you know zed alkalinity and all that oh yeah this is great um doesn't mean that it clicks right away it's like holy i, I do remember learning this this is phenomenal and so and that's that's how i brew my beers is i i strip it down like they do i start with ro water and I just figure out a mineral profile to start because, well, water is what 90 plus percent of your beers. So starts with that. And that's what, you know, the Germans, they, they lack that. It's like, look, we've got, and they should know they've got some of the best tech in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. So use this, this on the, on the brewing side for the, the tech that we use these days for being able to control that. Now I can, you know, I can have a wonderful mineral profile that just boosts and enhances my, my otherwise good beer to make it a great beer. And, um, what's you know what's the issue with that I, I never understood so i mean i you know adding mineral acid to your to your water well that's a different thing i don't know i, I i'm still on the fence about that one so I, i'll use you know i'll use my calcium salts to to bring my ph down but or um zawamuts acidulated malt because um that that was made from a naturally sprayed you know malt with lactic acid and you know, you get the, the lower pH from that. So that works for me, but I, yeah. I have, I have no idea how we fell down a chemistry rabbit hole. Oh, it happens all the time. I, th- I, th- I think you just jumped conversations on me like nine times and I'm just trying to keep up with you at this point, but, <laughs> but here, but here's how I'm going to, here's how I'm going to bring it back though. Okay. When you're putting together your milkshake IPA, given all of that, given your, how you are thinking about constructing a beer and, you know, beer history, but also, you know, flavors and giving the people what they want. Um, it can't be as simple for you. I, I, I would guess, uh, of just making an IPA and dumping in some lactose. Oh yeah. Hell no. But I think what it comes down to is just taking your time. And that's, that's how I work. I hate being rushed and, um, I take my time and the beer's ready when it's ready, but it's just a lot of, you know, some of it is trial and error. Some of it is just, you know, getting your pipette out and uh, mixing some things up. You know what? I, I have a very, very non-existent lab at this point, but um, you know, we're working on that. But, you know, the, using the tools that you have to be able to understand your beer and what's going on in it and what it needs and how all these different ingredients are working with each other. So for me, I, and one of my um, associates, he'd always says that like, uh, that's a Colin Crocus beer. It's balanced. And that's, that's, I guess that would say that's what I am. I, I strive for that balance in the beer that, yeah, you can have a hop forward beer, but it still be, needs to be balanced in some respect. So for me at the end of the day, it has to take, it tastes like a beer. So I did this blueberry cheesecake wheat beer a while ago that to me was just too kind of whiny cidery. So I'm working on that one to dial it in and get it to taste like more beer. So, you know, giving it a little bit more of a hop character, for example. So yeah, a lot of tinkering and it's to me, the problem with me as I'm probably sure you probably can already tell is I'm a perfectionist. So it's never good enough for me. So I'm always constantly asking, how do you like this? How do you like that? And I find it this and that. And, and they're like, dude, it's awesome. I'm like, okay, well, I need, I need to hear that from other people. Otherwise I don't believe it myself. Cause I'll taste something like that. Yeah, that tastes good. So I think just never, I mean, I never want to keep messing with it too. Cause I have, you know, now that I have this recipe, say for my, you know, my pina colada milkshake IPA, it works. Yeah. It's great. It's balanced. I love it. And I won't change anything from that now. I, you know, you could play with minor things in, in the lab and just to see what happens, but not that I would, you know, release that one, but so yeah, pipette work, I'd say chemistry, you know, starting, like I say, from the, from the bottom up, start with your water, right? Go through that. Make sure that 
it can support that beer and your malt pro- profile and all that. And it's a very complex um, mash schedule and malt recipe for that beer because it needs to be, you know, how much oats you add, you know, you need, need to add some, some mouthfeel to that. You want it to be, give the impression of being a little bit thick, like a milkshake. And like I said, ask me three years ago what a milkshake IP is. I have no idea because I'm a traditionalist, but I've had to follow the trends. I mean, it's obvious and, you know, it's a business, you know, we're, we're yeah. going to sell what sells. Uh, I still have, you know, I still have my, my line that I won't cross when it comes to compromises. So high quality, high quality ingredients, as long as they're not synthetic, I'm happy with using different, you know, different sources for that. But in the end, I want people to say, yeah, that is a beer. And that's where I uh, kind of draw the line. So if someone asked me to brew and, and, and uh, like an icy, icy beer, like uh, what do they call it? Like a slushy. Or oh, like, like a slushy. Yeah. I'm like, well, it's not really beer, is it? <laughs> and you know, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. To me. And that's the thing. I think people just have to ask themselves that question. You know, what do they want to brew? And. In Germany, you're not allowed to call it beer. It has to be a beer mixed drink or whatever. And uh, that protects it to a point. And I do agree on some things about the Ryan Heights Don't get me wrong, but you know me. I just, it just, it limits that creativity that, like, look at how wonderful and how long the West Coast IPA has been like a center point of, of craft beer. I mean, it's always there still. It might not be as popular as it once been, but man, that's a phenomenal beer. And that's one of my favorites to this day is a nice, crisp, hoppy West coast. And now I've made that kind of a hybrid between the West coast, East coast, trying to get that juiciness and still the bitterness. And it's, it's fun playing with that. So I don't know. Did that answer your question? I I mean, yes. Um, (laughs) When you're out at the brewery though, and, 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 and I'm mindful of your time. So, so we'll start to wrap it up, but like as you're out at the brewery though, and you're, you sound genuinely excited when you're talking about West coast IPAs. And there's been some indication from me talking to brewers that, you know, West coast IPA could be uh, on its way back. Uh, You know, Hayes has sort of taken over and some of the sweetie kind of stuff is, 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 is prominent. Um, Are you able to, when you have people at the brewery in the tap room, you know, at the restaurant, do you see people switching between the two? Like, I, I, just from a practical like standpoint, can, like, do you see that there's a way of bridging the gap between the old school IPAs and the new school IPAs with drinkers today? I think so. I think there's, you know, there's always those bridge beers and gateway beers. And I think that that's the nice thing about the East coast. I mean, I, 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 it's hard for even to call it an IPA because in my, my opinion, well, you know, going back in history, is that really what an IPA is? Not really, but whatever it is, what it is, New England pale ale, IPA, whatever you want to call it, but it's an easier approach to a non-craft beer drinker. So you might say, okay, this guy's never tasted craft beer in his life. Let's give him something like a wit beer. Hey, that's pretty good. You know, he's probably used to drinking these mass marketed lagers. That's a nice step up. And then you can, you know, Tell them about it. Well, look, this has got some coriander in it and it's got some orange peel and, you know, the the yeast used to make this. And this is why it tastes the way it does. And it's, you know, and then, okay, that's not so bad. So then you work your way up and then, you know, eventually you'll get to that midpoint where here's a, here's a hop forward beer. It's very aromatic. It's very juicy, full of flavor, but not bitter, really. I make mine a tad crisp because I do think it needs that. And then you know, so they get that. So they get the appreciation for hops. So it does have its place. And I think that, yeah, if you, if you can kind of blend those two, you can, you can satisfy a lot of different people. Um, And that's, I think that's what craft brewing in itself does. Like there's a beer for everybody, no matter what. Right. I, I, I always take that challenge. If you say you don't like beer, I say, okay, if you're not allergic to it, I will make you a beer that you like, just tell me what you like. I can do it. So I think that the more people, who taste hops, um, the flavoring and appreciate the, the nose on that, the aroma, all that. And then, you know, I think it's just like anything, you know, you get an appreciation for it. Like, did I like scotch the first time I drank it? No, I did some of my dad's single malt and I was like, Ugh. yeah, but then you're drinking, you know, McCown from the sixties and that's, 
<laughs> yeah, no kidding, eh? It's hard not to appreciate that, even if that's your first time. Yeah, uh, no, I, I imagine it, I, I haven't had it, but yeah. No, which it wasn't, but yeah, the only time I'll definitely <laughs> taste one of that caliber. <laughs> but, and that's the thing, you know, you get an appreciation for it. So, and I, I tell my daughter all the time, I'm like, look, just try something, right? You don't have to like it. Just try it. You know, if you if you do it, and I'm not saying you try it once and give it up forever saying you don't like it, but do it once in a while, make your dad happy, and then you might like it. So just the other day we're at a restaurant and we had calamari for an appetizer. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want that. That's that looks gross. I'm like, just try it. I'll say just, you know, it might be kind of almost like chicken nuggets, you know. Well, she tried it, she liked it. Well, there you go, right? Okay. So that's the thing. It's just getting your palate. And it might be that you're too young to appreciate some of this wine. Like, you know, when they say when you're younger, you know, red wine is just too overpowering because your, your senses are still so sharp. Same with beer. You know, when you first try that and it's a super bitter beer and that's all you're tasting. Yeah. That could turn off people to it. But if you, if you do it in the right way to get that appreciation that, you know, transition through, you know, the whole palette of colors and, and uh, aromas and flavors, you know, a nice, beautiful Imperial stout or a double IPA and Hey, drink what you like. Right. Yeah. Uh, kudos to everybody listening who thought of the old, this American life story about calamari, uh, when you mentioned it. And if you don't know what it is, I'll tell you about it after, uh, after we finish. um, in your early days, before you went to brewing school, when you had the idea that you wanted to do this, um, you know, you got some advice and that sort of put you on the path that you're on today. If you were to talk to somebody who's in that position, but now, uh, and knowing what you know now, what's your advice to, to that young fledgling brewer? Let your passion show, let it speak for itself. So do it like show, like if, if you can't find a job as a brewer, if you can't get into the industry, do some volunteering, go get into the industry in that way. And obviously don't like learn all you can on your own for sure. Homebrewing experiment, but, but let others people see that, let other people see that passion. And that's what we're looking for in the industry, right? Because that's why we do it. We don't do it for the money because everyone will tell you the money is not that great. Right. But I like what I do. I enjoy it. And it's because of that, because, you know, I can see the, the, the smile on people's faces when they drink a beer that I make. And that makes me so proud. It's like a tradesperson who just put in this beautiful new hardwood floor. They've got something to be proud of, right? Cause they can see the result. So show that passion and don't just do it because it's trending and it's getting on the bandwagon. And, you know, you think there might be money. And I'm sure there is for some people, but yeah, I think that's what I would say is, uh, let it kind of ooze out of you. You can see in your eyes when that sparkle, when you're talking about beer and they can't shut you up, which is basically when anybody opens that, that uh, can of worms with me, it's what happens. I talk their ear off. Like, I no, I couldn't, I, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> Not yeah. At all, right? <laughs> but yeah. And I think and just don't give up, right. Just find a way, right. There's, it's not going to get handed to you on a platter. Sometimes it happens where things fall together in line. Great. But you know, don't, don't give up and uh love what you do yeah well colin thanks for coming on the show and serving as a good reminder uh that you know careers don't always need to be a straight line and that there are you know twists and loops and everything else and that you know it can take you into unexpected places and you know let you meet unexpected people and have unexpected experiences um it's uh it's been nice to hear that perspective and so i appreciate you taking the time and for you know <laughs> probably pissing a few people off in the along the way which you know like cool yeah well i'll i just say it how it is so but um i really appreciate the opportunity and i think thank you for the invitation i dig the shows where you need a roadmap to follow along with where it's going and i hope you feel the same way my thanks again to colin he doesn't really have much of an online presence for you to follow his brewing pursuits, but you can get glimpses now and again through Rural Roots' social media, and they're online at ruralrootsbrewing.ca. So who do you want to hear on the show? Your emails get results. You can reach out. It's John Hall, J-O-H-N-H-O-L-L at beeredge.com, or you can talk to me on Twitter at John underscore Hall. A reminder to check out BeerEdge.com to sign up for the newsletter and to catch up with all of your clothing and glassware needs from the This Week in Rauk Beer, Camp Rauk Beer, and Defend Pilsner lines. 
go to beeredge.com slash merch to learn more and get with us on social media, either on the This Week in Rout Beer Facebook group or at TW Rout Beer on Twitter and Instagram or all of the beer edges at The Beer Edge. And if you want to support us and what we're doing on this show and on the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch, you should reach out to Liz Melby. She's on email at liz at beeredge.com and she will get you all the information that you need. And speaking of that, this episode is sponsored by Brees. Brees is the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbrees.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. We're also brought to you by NZ Hops, the cooperative of master hop growers. They are a passionate collective of farms dedicated to innovation and sustainability. Leading the charge in sustainable farm practices, some NZ Hop farms have over five generations of knowledge that inform their composting program used by growers to promote healthy, regenerative growth of hops year upon year. This creates high quality soil, a critical component of healthy growing conditions. At NZ Hops, they feel that sustainability is not only being a steward for the land, but for our future. We're in it together. Join the conversation at nzhops.co.nz or on LinkedIn, Instagram, or Twitter. You know the deal. Nate Schweber, he does the music. Jeff Quinn designed our logo. And I'm John Hall. New episodes of this show release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer. <laughs>